Welcome to Urban Principle, leadership lessons brought to you by BrettAndersonConsulting.com. And now here's your host, Brett Anderson. And welcome back to another podcast. This is episode 36, uh, Challenging Leadership, uh, Mental Health Part 1. I thought with the uh, uh, recent celebration for... um, 9-11 and the remembrance ceremonies and all that kind of happening and just coming out of that I thought it would be a great time to do uh, maybe a segment on challenging leadership and and mental health and this is also uh, September is suicide awareness month so another time to look at some of the mental health issues around our students and staff and and mental health is more challenging right now more than ever and I started thinking back to uh, September 11th, uh, 2001 myself and the things that happened during that day for me and the challenges that you face as a leader and you never know what to expect and what can happen. And I remember it was a Tuesday morning and I was in my fourth year at... um, a high poverty uh, elementary in the Omaha Public Schools. It was uh, my third year as principal at this school, and it was a normal day, and it was about seven, I think it was 7.46 central time in my area, and at that time elsewhere at 8.46, one of the four planes that was hijacked by terrorists, uh, that was Eastern time, Flight 11 crashed into the north face of the North Tower of the World Trade Center. And this was the start of an unfolding of many historical events. And the United States and the world would never be the same for sure after this terrorist attack. And for me, it was an hour earlier, so we hadn't gotten our kids in the building yet. And if you were alive at the time, And if you're old enough on that September 11, 2001, I think everyone will remember where they were and exactly what they were doing that on that day. And like I said, it would have been 7:46 our time when that first plane hit the Trade World Trade Center. And um, I was getting, I was in my office getting ready for the day, and uh, we start um, getting kids lining up outside even as that early and we start breakfast at 8 30 so we had breakfast lines in the front of the building and and behind the building and we had kids already there because some of our kids started uh, 7 or 7 30 and they were in what's called kids club and that was our morning and then we had an afternoon kids club too so they were there already and they were starting to line up and the staff was going through some of their normal routines and assisting supervision and connecting with students and I remember my security guard stepping in and asking me if I saw what had happened or heard what had happened on the news and I hadn't yet and he said he just turned on the TV in the library because he'd heard it through the wire on some things going on in the news and was getting the latest newscasts and I went in and watched a minute and I was amazed what I was seeing because at that point, I don't know if we knew it was an airplane. They thought an airplane had hit the building and, you know, everything was happening so fast and nobody knew if we were under attack or what was going on. 
and then at like 9.03 Eastern time, that was when uh, Flight 175 crashed into the south face of the South Tower. And that was, you know, 8.03 our time, and I still had students lined up for breakfast on the outside, kind of waiting to come in, and students downstairs are waiting to come in. And I, I remember standing there in amazement watching this. Uh, my security guard was there. I think there might have been uh, the librarian, maybe a few other people had stepped in if they knew about it at that time. And we were all kind of in shock on what was going on, and we weren't sure what was going on and the direction of what was going on. And I remember stepping away a minute and um, going to the office and seeing if we had any updates yet. And I was starting to get some uh, stuff from Public Info uh, sent to us and stuff that's going on. And they weren't sure actually everything that was going on as well. But we were starting to get some direction from the district. And I remember getting uh, messages. And then I remember going back and telling them, um, we're going to, as soon as we start the day, uh, we need to turn off that TV so that our kids, you know, can go on to class and we don't need students, you know, panicking or upset or worried about things. So we need to get them where they feel safe right now. And then we can come to a point where we discuss things or see what we need to do. And I remember going into my bathroom a second outside of my office. I had my own, well, I had my own bathroom within my uh, principal office and stepped in there a second to get my composure because I thought, wow, this is, at the time, I didn't know what was happening. I didn't know how many more planes were coming and if people were attacking or you don't really know what the heck's going on. And I was located in a school in South Omaha, which is close to uh, Bellevue. And Bellevue, of course, is where Offutt Air Force Base is. So the planes were coming and going like crazy right now, and you could hear them coming and going, and that eventually is where the president um, at that time would actually go and board a plane and come to Offutt for a while for a stopover. And I remember my wife calling me and wanting to know if I was okay and if, you know, what's going on. And, and that was when it first started. I think that was before I even went to the library. And, and she expressed concerns, and I said, you know, just... Um, we talked for a minute, and then we both said, I love you, and then she um, she was at a meeting in Bellevue, uh, downtown Bellevue, and um, finished that meeting, and everybody there knew what was going on and with the person she was meeting with, and then she just headed home. And then she uh, commenced uh, contacting a lot of our family and um, seeing if they knew what was going on, and, and the same thing, and expressed concern. You know, I went back to... Uh, doing what I needed to do and like I said I had to get my composure for a second in the restroom and then came out ready to go and then um, got the day going and and my whole time thinking you know what are we going to have to do to ensure you know the safety of the kids and as a building and not knowing kind of being able to foresee the unexpected um, but having to be that calm leader in the gist of everything that was happening. Um, I sent teachers uh, some emails and gave them some direction. We wanted to get the kids in the classroom and get them um, feeling safe and get through the day and that, that whole day, you know, the events that kind of transpired with other airplanes and um, one crashing into the Pentagon, um, not much after that. And, and then I was like at 9.37 and then another one at, you know, 10.03 crashed and Pennsylvania and we didn't find out till later that the passengers you know over 
powered the hijackers after hearing what had happened with the other planes. So, I mean, there was so much going on, and the news media was going crazy for sure. And our goal was keeping the kids safe, you know, and secure and keeping them in their normal routine at the time. And the kids, of course, we had that we had were extremely resilient uh, anyway. I mean, kids that um, have gone through a lot of different uh, situations at home and and uh, single-parent families and different things anyway. So the kids, we wanted to keep them feeling safe and secure. And I remember by the end of the day, we had had more direction from the district. Um, uh, some parents, you know, did pick up their kids a little bit early. And we tried not to press the news on the kids too much during that day. In fact, not much at all because we wanted them to get through the day you know, without any problems unless they needed to know stuff. And then by the end of the day, we had uh, gotten some direction from the district and crafted a letter and um, things that went home to the parents. Um, there's parts parts of that letter that were actually sent in light of the tragedies that occurred in at New York's World Trade Center towers at the end of the Pentagon in Washington, D.C., the school district of Beaumont and the school asks that you take time to discuss this incident with your child and would like to offer suggestions for you. Um, obviously, there is no single easy answer to any of these questions. However, your responses will depend on what your child may have seen or heard in the news and the age of your child. And then some, some techniques to consider, and they had taken some direction from, uh, I know, counseling and psychology. So um, let your feelings show the mixed feelings you may be experiencing, anger, sorrow, mourning, are likely being felt by your child also. It's okay for your child to see you're expressing what you both are feeling talk about it an event like this and an impact on you should be uh should not be minimized not talking about it won't mean that it will go away or will avoiding the subject protect your child from the concerns he or she may have remaining control anxiety is contagious particularly for young children it will be helpful for you your, your child to see that your world and theirs are not in chaos to the extent that it's possible, try to maintain your daily family routines. Express your love for your child. Your child needs to feel safe and protected by you. Reassure your child uh, that the danger to your family is minimal and that you are there to protect him or her. Listen, encourage your child to tell them what he or she has heard. Some of the information may not be accurate or may be exaggerated. This is your opportunity to reassure your child about your family's safety. Spend time with your child. Your presence alone will be comforting and provide the opportunity to talk about what happened. You are encouraged to keep your child in school as routine often leads to greater sense of security. And that's what we were trying to instill from the start. Please don't hesitate to call should you have any further concerns or questions regarding your child's reaction to this tragedy. With your insistence, we will guide our young people through this troubled time and with as much calm reassurance as possible. And of course I signed it, but then we had uh, counselors available if needed as well on the side of that now the the thing that's interesting with all these things that have happened like 9-11 is now we've had COVID another uh, situation or crisis where we've had uh, people um, passing and um, large numbers and it's worldwide it's another worldwide event this pandemic so I and mean, we've had things like that as well as hurricanes and other um, natural disasters like the fires and all these are things that can lead to increased depression and anxiety and things like uh, PTSD and I even read a study once that um, recently that actually was talking about the uh, teachers in high poverty buildings can actually get PTSD from all the things that they're doing uh, with students and families 
and I truly believe that after being 10 years in extreme high poverty building where we did and provided for a lot of our families and students so that that definitely can be the case and then I know in some of my um, presentations on positive behavior supports I do provide I share some things on working with students that have been uh, in situations of trauma too um, and there's a lot of uh, information out now on uh, working with students that have been through uh, been traumatized or been through uh, all kinds of different trauma too in how you uh, work with them with behavior and so on and then recently I saw an article in our paper in the Omaha World Herald that was a pretty good article and it was actually taken from the Los Angeles Times and I thought I'd share some of that with you because uh, it's so pertinent and it, it applies to what I'm talking about with mental health and it, it read uh, nearly 28% of Americans it said that's the top title and it says signs of depression have tripled since the start of the pandemic and I'm going to read parts of this to you because I think it's, it's so relevant. Uh, the COVID-19 pandemic has touched pretty much every person in America, and it shows in the state of our mental health. The prevalence of sleep troubles, lethargy, lethargy and feelings of hopelessness and other depression symptoms in adults across the country has more than tripled since the pandemic began, according to a new study in a major medical journal. In the weeks after the outbreak prompted quarantines and stay-at-home orders, 27.8% of those surveyed had at least one symptom of depression. That compares to 8.5% of people in 2017 and 18. So it's gone up to 27.8%. So it's increased quite a bit. And it's not just that the proportion of people experiencing signs of depression had increased by mid-April. The burden of these symptoms increased as well. After the pandemic caused a radical shift in daily life, there were fewer people with no symptoms and more people with more symptom, symptoms. And these findings serve to alert our attention to yet another impending public health crisis as a result of this pandemic, the increase in cases of major depression. Um, and that was from Dr. Ruth Shim, an expert on cultural psychology at UC Davis. And that was in common commentary accompanying the report and then jumping ahead they did some surveys and um, they had some America Speak research uh, you could look that up if you want more information on that but I think the important pieces of this uh, across the board symptoms of depression were more common in the COVID-19 era than in 2017 and 2018 for instance percentage of men who reported at least one such symptom rose from 6.9% to 21.9% and for women it increased from 10.1% to 33.3%. So depression has increased for sure and these trends you know are after things like 9-11 and Hurricane Katrina and now COVID. Um, before the pandemic 8.4% of black, white, and Latino Americans had at least one symptom of depression during the pandemic, those figures rose to 24.2%, 26.5%, and 34%, respectively. Meanwhile, the percentage of Asian Americans with at least one symptom rose from 4.4% to 23.1%. In 2020, 38.8% of U.S. adults ages 18 to 39 had at least one symptom of depression, up from 9% in the earlier years. 
That increase was mirrored among Americans in their 40s and 50s, jumping from 8.5% to 26.8%, and those 60 and above rising from 7.9% to 14.9%. Um, among Americans with uh, college degrees, the odds of having one or more depressive uh, depression symptoms rose from 4.7% before the pandemic to 18.3% in the outbreak's early days. Likewise, for Americans with only a high school diploma, they rose from 9.3% to 35%. It's not just that more people have signs of depression, but that their symptoms have become more serious. In the age of COVID-19, the prevalence of moderate depression symptoms was 2.6 times higher than in 2017 and 2018. And the uh, prevalence of severe symptoms was 7.5 times higher that last statistic is particularly concerning because severe depression is linked with suicide risk and requires intensive treatment to overcome, Shim wrote. So um, with this being National uh, Suicide Prevention Month, I think that's an important point to remember with all these things going on right now. And if you know of anybody who um, needs help, you need to make sure to reach out to them. And I know, um, especially in later years, we, we started doing what was called, as, as principals, we started having in our buildings what was called a threat assessment. And a lot of times you had a threat assessment team, or you had, in my case, I had an assistant principal, and the uh, counselor and the psychologist was usually involved as well. Um, they were part of your threat assessment team. And if you had a student that said, you know, I don't, I don't feel good, or I, I want to kill myself, or I'm going to hurt somebody, you did a threat assessment. And that threat assessment, uh, part of that process was going through a series of um, targeted kind of interview questions and interviewing techniques that actually find out um, where this kid is and um, where their mental state is and notifying parents and kind of getting some, taking care of those red flags so that you check things out because you don't... Um, leave anything unchecked nowadays. I mean, you still err on the, the, the safety of the, the students and the staff. So, so anything like that is checked out. And I noticed at the time I was uh, getting ready the year before I even retired, it was like all of a sudden we had this huge increase. And this was even before COVID. There was an uptick in um, 2018, 2019, I noticed of just uh, increased threat assessments. And this was even at the elementary level. So I can imagine that those were probably increasing at the middle school and high school. So, I mean, it is important to reach out to people and to make sure that um, people are getting help that they need. And if you know people that are needing help, you know, trying to steer them in the right direction or be a, uh, a listener to them and, and be a voice for them and kind of help them. And there are so many different... Um, resources out now besides uh, counselors within school buildings and a trusted adult within a school building that a student can go to or another um, good reason to continue to make connections with part of your positive behavior supports is usually uh, students have an adult that they can connect to within positive behavior supports that they can go to if they have a need or a real concern and these are the kind of things that they would go to them for for something as serious as a you know crisis or possible suicide uh, type thinking. So, I mean, those kind of connections are so important. And there are all kinds of uh, places that you can call to. There's like the um, Disaster Distress Helpline, and that's part of the National uh, Suicide um, Prevention Lifeline, and that's at 800 
985-5990. And then there's the Boys Town National Hotline. And it's a free resource and uh, counseling service that assists youth and parents. And it's 800-448-3000. And those are, I mean, I know Boys Town is 24-7. It's year-round and it's, uh, it's nationwide. And then there's the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. And that's 24 hours in the U.S. And that's uh, 1-800-273-TALK, which is 8255. And if you are located in other countries and other regions, you can go to the International Association for Suicide Prevention website, and they have more information to get help um, that you need for your area or from your area. So, I mean, continue to look for people that need um, assistance. Um, Let's continue to help and assist each other. I mean, we're all in this together, so make sure that we're kind to each other. Um, make sure that we're grateful and continue to make this a better world. Um, continue to kind of work through this pandemic as things start to reopen. Um, be aware of your friends and be aware of uh, students and colleagues and staff. And I think next time I want to look at part two of mental health and also uh, start talking about some of the things that we did within um, the schools and one of the uh, best programs that I ever um started too at uh, the first building I was in to actually work with students uh, with mental health issues and uh, provide resources for them. But I want to start getting into that. So uh, keep promoting uh, positive leadership. And remember, culture changes through successful leadership. Until next time, let's stay positive. You've been listening to Urban Principle. Leadership lessons brought to you by BrettAnderson Consulting.com.